This week I spent a little time at Future Grounds, which is a coffee shop up there on 12th Street. And I go there sometimes. It's kind of a second office for me in some ways. And I go there when when I need to just kind of people watch a little bit. You, you know what I'm talking about. And there are a variety of people who, who come through those doors. And I, I kind of sit to where I can see the door and everybody who comes in. And, and, and there, there are all kinds of folks. Uh, there's, there are a group of, of, of guys who will come in. And, 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 to, and I've kind of nicknamed them. They're the mafia. They, they look like some guys that are, that are in the mafia. They, they've got the Don, and he walks in ahead of the two other guys. He's kind of older. And, and then there's two other guys that are kind of, you know, some, some burly looking guys and they come in and, and the Don doesn't order anything. He doesn't, I don't know why, but he doesn't order anything. And I'm not sure he, he would, he pay, he pays for the other guys, but they come in there and they'll sit for about 10 minutes discussing whatever kind of mafia business or hits they're doing next. I don't know. And then they get up and they leave and he, there he goes. He's always out the door. He's walking real fast. And, and then, it, you know, they, he gets in the passenger seat and somebody drives him around. You know, it really happens. I'm not making this up. And, and so anyway, you would know who they are if I mentioned them. So I'm not going to tell you who they are. All right. But so I know these guys and that they're the, anyway, I, they're, 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 they're doubling for the mafia. I swear. But, but anyway, and then you see, you see people come in, they're, they're exercisers who will come in and, and you could tell they've been out running or they they're working out of some kind. And, and I think, why would you want something hot? And then that dude orders a cold coffee. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You're killing me. You know, old guys ordering cold coffee anyway. Um, so, so I, I, I sit there and I watch people and have these different interactions. Some folks are familiar to me. I'll wave to them and say hello and that sort of thing. And, 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 and then others are just random. You kind of nod. You know what I'm talking about? Hello, how are you? And oh, I'm fine. How are you today? And so on. And, and, and it's interesting, those, those, those encounters that you have. And I, I intentionally went there this week to try to have some of those because I knew what I'd be talking about this morning. And then, I guess it was about Thursday or Friday, I put on Facebook, just curious, some of the encounters that people had had this week. And I asked folks to describe their most bizarre encounter. And it took a little while. Some people, I don't think, were, were wanting to mention they had had a bizarre encounter because, you know, they, they couldn't change the names to protect the, the guilty, I guess. But, but anyway, some folks started to chime in. And it was interesting, as, as that thread went on, not everybody described a bizarre encounter. Some people just said, you know, I had an encounter that, that, that was, was different from what I expected, or it was out of the ordinary in some way, but it wasn't, it wasn't crazy. But anyway, I, I thought I'd take the, the moment just to read some of these to you, because I think you could probably relate to some of these encounters that people had that they described from just this past week. A friend of mine, a girl that I haven't seen in long, long time. She lives up in Boston. She, she wrote this. She said, more of an observation than an interaction. She said, this morning I was stopped at a red light and noticed that the car in front of me had cigarette smoke pouring out of the driver's side window and two bumper stickers. One of the bumper stickers said, drive it like you stole it. And the other said, baby on board. She said, that's kind of bizarre. Anyway, I, I, I heard from a few ladies, several ladies, who said they had a bizarre, a bizarre encounter with somebody complimenting them from a stranger perspective, and they thought, this is really creepy. And some of you had a bizarre encounter like that this week. And that's what I said, too. That's, that's weird. That is strange. Nancy's cousin chimed in. She's a second-grade teacher, and her students were asking about the flag this week being at half-staff. And they said, did somebody not know to put it all the way up? <laughs> did the wind knock it down? 
And then she later on had another discussion with him about why you shouldn't dip your hair into paint, you know, as second graders. But anyway, um, one girl said, I had a vendor ask me this week to reschedule a weekly meeting uh, that meets on Mondays because of the holiday. And so, so the, the, the vendor said, which day would you like? And she responded, she said, well, let me, let me tell you this date. And she said, and then the vendor said, well, why are you wanting to reschedule the meeting? Now think about that for a second. The person who asked to reschedule the meeting is wondering why this girl wants to reschedule the meeting. Kind of bizarre. Some people are, you know, not firing on all cylinders. And, and, and then we had, we had a couple of folks who chimed in about the fact that they work in middle schools and everything's bizarre. <laughs> Every encounter is bizarre in the middle school. Uh, then, then, then were a couple that that had encounters this week that were heavy on their hearts. A friend of mine said this: that she has a friend who suffered significant childhood trauma. He believes he can heal by his on his own by reading self-help books. He has no connection to community of believers or spiritual professional guidance. His soul is broken, and he doesn't know. And another wrote, I have a niece that has a drug addiction. I rarely see her talk with her, but this week I spoke with her twice, once in her right mind and a few hours later when she was high. She's being abused physically by her boyfriend and providing her, he's providing her with the meth and they feel so helpless. Others had just, just sort of routine things. In my job, I talk to people about this or I, I, I encounter people like this. It's interesting the variety of encounters that we have in a given week, isn't it? You probably can relate to some of those. I had something that was bizarre this week. I, I had something that was routine. I, I, I had something that, that hurt. Uh, so many times, if you're, if you're normal, I, I think, we go through life and we just have what we, what we think are just normal, ordinary encounters. Eh, I just went to the coffee shop, said hi to that guy again, and, and nodded at that person, stood in line behind those people, whatever it was. We had what we think, anyway, are just ordinary interactions. But it hit me again this week that there are no ordinary interactions because there are no ordinary people. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, and he was a British, British apologist, and, and he's the guy behind the, the Chronicles of Narnia series. C.S. Lewis wrote several things, and one of the books that he wrote is called The Weight of Glory. And listen to what he wrote about ordinary people. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, those that we work with, marry, snub, exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn, but our merriment must be of that kind, and that is, in fact, the merriest kind, that kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taking, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Now, now that sounds kind of academic, but what he's saying is that you never encounter somebody who is not going to live forever somewhere. You never encounter an ordinary person that can be dismissed. Right here in this room, we have no ordinary people. We may feel ordinary sometimes, but we have no ordinary people. We are all bound for eternity somewhere. And C.S. Lewis, I believe, puts it in terms that we can readily understand. It points to the tension that we all feel. It points to the tension that we live between heaven and we live between earth. 
We know from Scripture, we know from our calling, we know from God sending Jesus that there is a mission that we are to participate in. We know we're to love him and love each other and love people. We understand that's our heavenly calling, but isn't it true that sometimes we forget that because we live here on earth? We're human. And sometimes the people that God has sent us to or put around us are folks that we'd rather not deal with. Every interaction, however, is one from God. Our tension, I think, is most felt when we consider those strangers that annoy us, people whose lifestyles we don't agree with, or even our friends and family and co-workers who do things that we don't like. I think there is a real tension. As a Christian, what do I do about this? I know God wants me to reach these people. I've heard that a million times. Go be the light in your world. I've seen it on churches. You are now entering the mission field. They put it there as you leave. We have reminders of that all the time, but what are we supposed to do? How does that work? Got a Bible handy. I want you to turn with it. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 12 verses today. Bible's divided Old New Testament. If you go to the table of contents, you'll find that. You'll see the page number. If you want to just try to, if you don't know where anything is and you want to kind of get lucky, all right, turning to it, then go about two-thirds of the way over in the Bible and pick a spot there and open it, and you, you, you'll probably wind up in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. If you, if you get kind of too far, turn back to the left. But we're in the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. We're going to see a story today in our, in our Bible story series, one that, that I remember learning when I was a kid, and maybe you did. If you were in Sunday school as a kid, uh, maybe, maybe you learned this. If, if, if you weren't, you, you may not know this story at all. It's a very powerful story of some friends who stopped at nothing to get another friend to see Jesus Christ. They knew that Jesus could do something about what this guy was going through and the experience he was having, and so they're going to stop at nothing. And so that's... That's our story today. So let's, let's read the story and we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about what's our role in all of this. When he entered Capernaum, after, again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no room, not even in the doorway, as he was speaking the message to them. So get the picture, okay? Jesus is at home, wherever that was for him. We understand that Jesus would later say, not even the Son of Man, he'd call himself the Son of Man, doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He had no permanent home, but wherever he was staying at that point, was for, for him was home, and, and, and people get word that he's there, and they start packing the house, and he's teaching, and there's no room, no standing room only, and out the door. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four. The guy could not walk. He's paralyzed, and four guys are bringing him. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Picture this. This doesn't happen. It, it, was, it, was, it was some sort of earthen type, type roof. It, it wouldn't have been something they would have taken hammers and, you know, and beaten it or taken a sawzall or whatever it is that you guys use to cut things with, you know, that kind of. It wouldn't have been that, all right? They would have had to dig. And, and, and the roof would have begun to fall, in one sense, on the people below. And everybody is, you know, what in the world is going on? Imagine this morning. Or imagine last week, let's just say, we, we've got a packed house and, and nobody can get in, so they come through the roof. Drop in through the attic. There is an attic above here, by the way. It could happen. 
possible. We're gonna, I should have do, done that as a sermon illustration. Luke, remind me, next time you're coming through the roof, dude, all right? All right? It'd be perfect. Everybody would love it. At least I would. Anyway, they lower the guy down through the roof because they can't get in anywhere. And so you can imagine the scene. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, get up and walk. What does he say to him first? Son, what? Your sins are forgiven. Don't miss that part, what Jesus does first. We'll get to that in a minute. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, just a little side note, a little side note. What is Jesus making sure they understand he is claiming? To be whom? God. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is not playing games. He says, son, your sins are forgiving, knowing that those guys would say, hold on a second. He's blaspheming. He's claiming to be God, which of course he is. Anyway, right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you reasoning these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk and pick up your stretcher and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up, picked up the stretcher and walked out in front of everyone. Imagine that. Imagine that dude. Yeah. He, he, he gets lowered through the roof and he walks out the front door. And I can't imagine anybody saying a word. Uh, imagine the look on that guy's face. Knowing that he had been forever changed and on earth he had been changed as well. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, We have never seen anything like this. And that story, man, I, 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 this, is, this is such to me such a powerful example of, of what it means, what our role is, what, what we are to do when it comes to the people in our lives that we recognize need Jesus. I'll give you just a foundational truth this morning. You probably already guessed it if you follow on the outline. Very, very simple. People need Jesus. And this isn't one of those Facebook memes where people are going crazy and, and, and the ladies on there like, y'all need Jesus. Okay, that's not what it is. Okay, it's, it's not, you just need to get right. This is serious. People need Jesus. The question is, do we really believe it? And I, and I mean that sincerely. We would say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I believe people need Jesus. Really? It's obvious these four men knew that this guy needed Jesus for something. He had a reputation as a healer, and so they're going to get him to Jesus. No matter what it takes, they're going to get him there. We don't have any, any record of their words in Scripture, but, but it's clear they knew that this guy, maybe his last hope, maybe his only hope in their minds, was to get him to Jesus. Now, we might assume that people need other things. If you look at at a list of basic needs, the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You, would, you might conclude, well, people just need basic stuff, and, and if they have those things, then they're fine. If we just provide for people the things that they need in order to survive and thrive in this world, then we have done what we need to do. And that's where it stops for a lot of people. And unfortunately, it stops for a lot of Christians. We may look and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what they need. They need to mind their own business, what they need. 
Uh, they need to grow up is what they need. They need me just to talk to them. for If somebody would just tell them, just stop doing what's causing your problems, that's what they need. What we believe people truly need is what we're going to be giving them on a regular basis, by the way. What is it that we truly believe people need? It'll be seen in our attitudes, our approach to them, our words to them. We know as believers in Jesus that we've got to see truly, deeply what they need, and it is Jesus Christ, a relationship with him and the new life that he brings. Now, it's easy to say all that. He just said, well, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. People, people really need Jesus. And, and you may be very sincere in saying that. But it's, it's convicting when we stop and consider our interactions and how seldom we do anything to take Jesus to them or to get people to Jesus. Think about that. As I sat at the coffee shop this week, evaluating people, watching people, it hit me that those people need Jesus. And yet I'm also convicted to say, how many relationships am I building so that I might be able to take those people to Jesus? And why is it that they need Jesus in the first place, would you answer? So they'll act better? So they'll leave you alone? <laughs> well, if you could just find Jesus, you would just, oh, you wouldn't be so that way. <laughs> So we wouldn't have to deal with their habits or their lifestyles. So our world would be more comfortable for us as believers. So our children will grow up and be what? Good, productive citizens? What a low goal we have for our kids. In chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus addresses what is our deepest need. The deepest need people have when he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus does not address first the man's paralysis. He sees it. He recognizes it. Jesus is not dumb. He understands why these friends are, are lowering him down so that the man might be healed physically. And Jesus says instead, though, he attacks what is the biggest problem. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this isn't to say that the man was paralyzed because of something he did that was sinful. Don't read that into this story. We don't know why he's paralyzed. We can't say, well, he did this, and so God struck him down, and he's going to be paralyzed. Ah, that's, that's not necessarily the case. What Jesus sees is a man who was not only broken physically, but broken spiritually, and he addresses that need first. Jesus, by the way, always works from the inside out. We can't get ourselves cleaned up and then come to Jesus and say, am I good enough? And he'll say, what? Good enough? Stop. Just stop right there. Just stop. I just picture Jesus saying, dude, seriously? Good enough? Your life is full of sin. You are a sinner. Let me fix that first, and then we'll work on the other stuff. So anyway, Jesus heals him, and then or he, he, he forgives him, and then he heals him and fixes his other problem. That's the way Jesus always works. Let me give you a, a little challenge this week as we turn our hearts and look at what is our role, what is it that we're supposed to be doing and as we participate. I want you to, let me encourage you, it's not on your outline. But this is a little challenge, something to put in your back of your mind. It's a holiday weekend, and so our interaction is going to be shortened maybe a little bit this week. But you might be dealing with some friends and family, so on and so forth. Let me just encourage you to view every person this week as somebody who needs Jesus, because they are. What if you walk out of here and you say, you know what? Today, when I go to lunch, when I go visit my family, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to look at those people as somebody who needs Jesus, because they, they do. 
And then look at every interaction, every encounter that you have, not as something random, but as a divine appointment from God, which I believe it is. I don't think there's anything random that happens in our lives. I don't think there's anything by accident that takes place. And you say, well, you know, it's just a routine thing. No, it's not. Anyway, we understand that, that people need Jesus and we can't give them truly what they need most. We can't forgive their sins. We can't save anybody and so on. But we do have a role to play. And so quickly this morning, we're going we're gonna to work through what is our role to play. All right. People need Jesus. I've made the case for that. I hope by now you're convinced People need Jesus to forgive their sins and then work on them from the inside out. What then do we do? The first thing I think we've got to start with, and this is not recorded in Mark chapter 2, but I think it goes without saying, the first thing we have to start with is prayer. Aaron mentioned it earlier, take all the prayer that we can get for this trip. We, we desperately need that. It may be a prayer to pray this morning where you say, you know what, Lord, stretch me, grow me so that I see people as somebody who truly needs Jesus. God, I've just been going through the motions. I literally, I, I don't pay attention to people anymore. They just annoy me. God, open my eyes. Use me this week. And let me encourage you to pray another kind of prayer as well. And that is a prayer for that person. Instead of the silent criticism. You ever been there? there? There are people in your life who you've never prayed for and I've never prayed for and all I will do is talk about them. You been there? I don't do that. I don't do that at all because I am a Christian and Christian, good Christians don't do that. Hmm. We'll leave that one for another sermon. But... Isn't that the easy thing to do? Let me criticize them. Let me talk about how bad they are. Let me talk about all the things they're doing wrong. Let me encourage you this week, as I will be convicted to do the same, instead of saying anything, even internally, about that person, to begin to pray for them. God, I don't know what's going on in their life, but they need Jesus, right? Oh, Lord, I don't know what they're dealing with, but God, I, would you reveal yourself to them? Lord, use me in some way. God, they may be shocked that I, that I would be kind to them because that's not our relationship. Lord, they may be shocked that somebody would, like me would want to associate with somebody like them or vice versa. But God, help me. Use me. Lord, show yourself to them. Begin with prayer. Secondly, I, I think our role includes involvement. Uh, these guys carrying their friend... It doesn't say how their relationship began. It just says they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. We don't know how they came to be involved in his life. Did they know him from school way back? Had they had a relationship with him? Did they just come across him and feel compassion for him? How is it they got involved? We don't know, but the, the point is they got involved in the life of a man who could do nothing for them. Nothing. This man could do nothing for them and they got involved. Now, in every encounter, our, our options, I think, are either to, to retreat or to ignore somebody or to engage with them. I, I think that's where we are. We can either retreat or I'm not getting involved. We can ignore them, just kind of la, 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 pretend like they're not there. Or we can engage with them. When you consider what Jesus did for us, which option do you think it is that he has given us? It is not to retreat. It is not to ignore. It is one option, and that is to engage, because that's what Jesus did for us. 
The most classic Bible verse, the most famous Bible verse in John three sixteen. what does it say? For God so loved the world that what? He gave what he got involved, right? He gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting or eternal life. Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he refers to himself. He says, the son of man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life, he says, as a ransom for many. Jesus got involved. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible tells us, Paul records, that while we were still sinners, messed up beyond repair, that Jesus demonstrated his love for us and died for us. He got involved. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about what Jesus did, even though he was worshiped eternally in heaven, he left heaven, came to earth, became one of us, and got involved. We do not have an option except to engage and get involved. We are not called to retreat and huddle up as Christians and hold hands and sing kumbaya until Jesus comes back because we're so scared of the way the world is going. You know who ain't scared of the way the world's going? Jesus. You know who lives inside of every believer? Jesus. Do you know what he can empower us to do? Not be afraid of the way the world is going, but to engage it as it is. We cannot sit around and wait for the world to change so that we can be more comfortable and then we'll get involved because now it's a Christian society again. Sometimes we have earned the reputation that what we want is for things to be comfortable for Christians in a Christian society. And we have forgotten to be involved with the souls of people who live in this non-Christian society who desperately need Jesus. And we sit on the sidelines waiting for the world to change. It ain't going to change. It is a dark and sinful world. And it may get better, quote unquote, better for a time for us as believers. But until Jesus returns, guess what? It ain't going to be what it's going to be. Until he comes back, we are to be involved. Uh, on on your, your bulletin, the front of your bulletin, if you've, if you've got it. There, there's a website called Bless Every Home. One of, our, one, of our, one of our folks here showed me this not long ago. And, 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 and basically what it is, okay, if you're looking and say, how do I, I don't know where to start. I mean, I, I, I want to, but I don't know what to do. Evangelism in the early church. Reaching people for the Lord in the, in, as it first began seemed to happen best home to home, neighbor to neighbor. And I really think there's something about that. I don't think that I will ever be bullhorn guy on the corner at 12th and Chestnut. Okay, I'm not going to be bullhorn dude. Standing there screaming at people. Maybe that's effective in some cases. I don't know. That's not me. Where, where I believe that evangelism and reaching people to the Lord is most effective is through relationships. And particularly with the people that you're closest to. And so you see this here. Bless every home. And, and inside there's a little bit of an announcement about that, what I would love for you to do, and if you, if you need an excuse right now, you got to, you know, somebody sent you a text and you're dying to read it and whatever. Now you can pull out your phone and you can look at it. Okay. That's just why I know how it goes. You, you silenced it this morning, but you know, your, your Fitbit's buzzing like mine does when somebody sends me a text in the middle of a sermon. All right. Um, if you look there, I want to seriously pull out your phone, your tablet, whatever. And, and right now I want you to go, if you, if you want to bless every and you can, you feel free to look at that. And, and what it will show you is if you will 
sign up. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't alert your neighbors that they're, here's an, you know, an evangelistic person now in your, in your neighborhood coming after you. That's not what it is. But what it will do is you can sign up. You put in your address, and it will pull up whatever radius you want, the names of the people according to, to postal records, the names of the people that live around you. And, and, and it doesn't, again, it, it, it's not anything creepy. You're not trying to, you know, to, to do anything to them or something. It's just, it just shows you. And every day what it will do is it will send you a reminder with a few of those names, pray for these people today. And it'll be your neighbors. And let me encourage you. If you say, you know what? I want to get involved. I, I, I know part of my role to play is to be involved in the lives of people who need Jesus. Do not take for granted that everybody in Murray and Callaway County has already received Jesus. Because I can tell you they have all right? They have not. You see those people, right? They have not. But let me encourage you, as a church, I would love for us to begin this initiative for this church year. Yesterday, September 1st, we started a brand new church year. That's our, our fiscal year, our, our, our committee year, whatever you want to call it. And I would love for us, beginning in, in this year, this church year, September 1st through August 31st of next year, to say we are going to do everything we can to bless every home that's connected with our church. And some of you may live close to one another, and we may double up and so on. But here's, here's what I'd love for you to do. First, just begin to pray for those folks. You may not even know what to pray for. God, I don't know what they're dealing with. God may put things on your heart. You may be reading Scripture, and you pray those things over those people and over those homes. And then I would highly encourage you, look for something tangible that you can do to bless that home. What is it? How, how do I, how, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what God will lead you to do. Pray for them. Begin to build a relationship however you can with those folks and figure out a way to bless those people who live around you. That website will simply be a reminder for you. And I would love to be able to pray for you each week. You'll see there, there's a little thing on the connection card that, hey, I'm signing up for that. Would you pray for me? Because I, I want to bless the homes and the people around me, but I'm going to need prayer to do it. Check that. Give it to me on the way out the door. A great way to get involved. Thirdly, prayer involvement, and we're also going to, what's going to be required of us is tremendous sacrifice. These, these guys dug a hole in a roof. Somebody else's roof. Wasn't theirs. Somebody else's roof. They made a tremendous sacrifice. Odds are they knew that by doing this, we're going to have to fix this later on. <laughs> This good. We're not just going to walk away and kind of say, well, you know, it wasn't me. They're, they're making a sacrifice. They took time out of their day. They went above and beyond to get this guy to Jesus Christ. There was nothing casual about their relationship, nothing routine about their relationship with this man. They were willing to climb on the roof, tear it apart, interrupt Jesus, lower their friend, and then expect Jesus to do something about it. That's some sacrifice. That's going above and beyond. Maybe for us, when it comes to blessing every home or all of our coworkers, it's going to be a sacrifice of time or of money or energy or comfort or pride. And it probably will be awkward, I'll just tell you. You're going to feel kind of dumb. But you will be joining Jesus in his mission. And you will be taking them to the one who can truly meet their deepest needs. Fourthly, our role involves not only prayer, involvement, sacrifice, but also faith. Verse 5, seeing their faith. 
I don't know what kind of faith they had in Jesus. I don't know if they fully understood that he was the Messiah who had come to die for the sins of the world that we might be set free and forgiven. I don't know if they had that kind of faith. But you know, they had faith that said, we can't do anything for this guy, but you put him at Jesus' feet and watch him work. That's the kind of faith they had. They had a faith that would go through a lot of trouble for somebody. And their actions revealed their faith. We don't have record of any word that they said to Jesus. They just put the guy down and through the roof. You know what to do, don't you, Jesus? I got you. Jesus responded to their faith, and he always does. We've got to have the same kind of faith for the people that God has called us to reach, for the divine appointments that we have every single week. Faith that believes that Jesus is who he says he is, that people really do need him, that he has called us to join him in his mission, that he really loves and wants to forgive people and heal them. Because without faith, we'll give up when the house is full and there's no way in. Uh, The final thing that will be part of our role, our part to play. It's something you can expect to encounter in its opposition. I wouldn't be fair to you this morning and wouldn't be honest with the scripture if I didn't let you know you're going to face some opposition. Verses 6 and 7, some of the scribes are sitting there thinking to themselves, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God himself? You're going to face opposition. People who don't understand. People who don't want anything to do with Jesus. People who are offended that you would even bring it up. You're going to invite somebody to the church. You're going to try to talk with them, get involved with them, and they're going to tell you exactly what you can do. It's going to happen. They're going to ignore you. They will put obstacles in your way. You will face opposition. And you will face opposition not just overtly as if people are, you know, around Murray Calloway County, they'll probably be sort of nice about it. But you're going to face opposition from folks who don't even know they need Jesus. This dude was paralyzed. Did he know he needed Jesus? Had he given up? And he said, guys, just stop. Just forget. I'm a lost cause. Leave me alone. You ever dealt with somebody like that? Who for them, life is long gone and they can't do anything about it. And they face this opposition probably in themselves as well. Their own pride saying, you know what? Man, these religious leaders are there and I don't want to be viewed as somebody who's, who's not, a good, not a good Jew. You know, if, if I'm a good Jewish person, I'm, I'm going to go to the scribes and the Pharisees. And they went all around all that stuff. But they didn't give up in the face of opposition, and neither must we. This morning, as I close, I want you to, to evaluate in, in this Bible story which character you are. I'll tell you outright, none of us are Jesus. None of us. None of us are the healer. None of us are the Savior. None of us can give people what they truly need, but I wonder which character you might be this morning. Are you one of the friends? God has put somebody on your heart and say, that's who I want you to reach. That's who I want you to help. That's who I've put around. It's not an accident. Are you the friends? And you might pray, Lord, stretch me, grow me, open my eyes, use me. Or, Or maybe this morning you find yourself not being one of the friends, but you're the paralyzed man spiritually you are broken and you say you know what lord i i'm in need of your forgiveness 
And I came here this morning because I was hoping I might meet with you today and maybe you'd do something in my life. The first thing Jesus has to do, has to do, is to forgive you of your sins. There is no relationship with him on any other basis but a sinner coming to a Savior and asking for forgiveness as we repent. That's the foundation. There is no relationship aside from that foundation. Maybe you're the paralyzed man today and you say, I surrender. Save me, heal me, forgive me. I I doubt very seriously we have a lot of folks who would claim to be the opposition but, but if anybody is hesitant about people in our church or our church reaching this community, if we're hesitant about that, if we say, well, that's going to change some things around here, you better believe it will. I don't know what those changes are going to be. I don't have a list of them. I'll probably be as shocked as anybody as to what changes will have to be made if we're going to truly reach this community. But guess what? I don't want to stand in the way. I do not want to be the reason that God says, nope, moving on from that place. I want to be the conduit through which God can reach this community. That's my goal. And so if you find yourself resistant and saying, God, I don't know. Maybe today you just say, you know what, Lord, do in me what you want. Do through this church what you want. Maybe it's a prayer of humility. A prayer of confession, repentance, faith. People need Jesus. And let's be the folks that get them to the Savior, no matter what it takes, however it is, that we have to get them there. Why don't you pray with me? This morning, God's got somebody on your heart right now. There's a friend, a coworker, a classmate, a teammate a family member, somebody you live close to, maybe God has got that person on your heart and you say, you know what, right now, Lord, I'm going to begin to pray for them. I don't really like them, but I'm going to pray for them anyway. And today and tomorrow and the rest of this week, as you go out, Lord, open my eyes to see everybody as someone who needs Jesus. And Lord, open my eyes to see every encounter as a divine appointment with somebody so that I might be used by you. Let's be that kind of church. Let's bless every home. Let's reach this community, not for our own glory and for a full building, but for the glory of Jesus Christ and his kingdom.